Ooh, that means we're starting. <laughs> All right. Welcome, everyone, to the October 2023 edition of the Forest Park Southeast Neighborhood Association meeting. Woo! <laughs> uh, as the slide says, welcome. Uh, ground rules, as always, as we start, uh, if you have questions, enter them into the chat for those who are online. If you are in person, uh, raise your hand to speak so we can provide you the mic and so the people online can hear you speak. Uh, please, no interruptions uh, and behave with common courtesy. We do have a guest speaker here tonight to talk about pocket parks. Uh, the agenda, we'll do ward updates from Mr. Michael Browning. We'll have a crime and safety report from Officer Walker. Neighborhood updates from yours truly, Ron Coleman. Uh, Treasurer's report. Uh, we will go through the annual board elections. We have nominees uh, this month. Voting is next month. We'll go through some of our events. And then our guest speaker, Samantha, will talk about pocket parks. Super exciting. Love it. Uh, any questions before we get started here? Love to see it. All right, uh, we'll start with uh, Michael. Pass the mic over to him. Thank you, Dan. Great job as always. Really professional presentation. Uh, hey folks, so if you don't know me, my name is Michael Browning. I'm your alderman for the ninth ward. Uh, I have just a few updates for you tonight and I'll try to be quick because we have a do, do have a packed agenda. So the board recently perfected and will be passing this Friday short-term rental regulation. That is regulation on things like Airbnb and VRBO, anything that really rents on a nightly basis. And we have put in place uh, a permit system that will require you to uh, register to an owner instead of an LLC. Uh, it will be a limit of four permits per owner and you must designate a local short-term rental agent that can respond within one hour to any issues. We're hoping that this helps cut down on a lot of out-of-town ownership that seems to lead to some of the more negligent places we see. Uh, in addition to that, uh, every unit will receive a yearly inspection. Uh, it will have a limit on the occupancy and a limit on how many cars can be parked out front and a limit on uh, making sure there aren't any parties going on. We are going to have an excellent backend mechanism uh, to enforce these rules. So we'll have both the police and the building division, and there will be an online portal where citizens can uh, issue complaints if they see something uh, working out of, uh, the, out of compliance. So we're really hopeful that this is going to both help uh, retain short-term rentals in our city as a good tourism uh, boost, as a way for houses to get rehabbed and really get brought back into our uh, into our housing stock. But uh, on the other end of that, we want to make sure they're not getting out of control and really ruining the feel of our neighborhoods. So we're trying to strike a balance here, and I think we've done an excellent job at that. Uh, this will take about a year to set up this infrastructure, so that will be going into effect. And I'm happy to talk to any short-term rental owner uh, in that year to just explain the rules and the process that we will have going forward. Uh, the other piece of legislation that we have in front of us right now that is really the hot talk of the town is uh, a unhoused bill of rights and two accompanying zoning bills that will make it easier to open shelters in the city. Uh, the reasoning behind these bills is that 
there hasn't been any shelter that's open in the city in almost two decades uh, because we currently use a platinum petition process and it is very difficult to gather signatures. Uh, the bill is coupled with this thing that's called an unhoused bill of rights. It uh, lays out a bunch of rights for people who are homeless, as well as sets up rules for disbanding encampments. Uh, and it also uh, provides, uh, it also repeals a lot of ordinances having to do with um, public urination, defecation, and uh, panhandling for people who are homeless. Uh, I want to be clear right now, I am opposed to these bills in their current form. I do not think it is responsible to repeal ordinances governing behavior that we all find objectionable and would really be a detriment to our city, both health and safety wise. Uh, I also have issues at the bill and that cities can't enumerate rights. That's not something that cities can do. So I'm worried about the obligation of the city if we uh, spell out rights that we can't guarantee. Uh, and furthermore, the bill definitely runs afoul of House Bill 1606 that passed out of Missouri last year. Uh, in that case, the Attorney General will sue us because he loves doing that. And we will lose funding for homeless services in the city that we currently get from the state. So that's a major concern of mine. I don't want an attempt to help people who need help to end up backfiring and losing funding. Uh, so I'm going to be working with the sponsor to see if we can't revise this bill into something better. Uh, but I do want to make sure that we are helping our most vulnerable residents, but at the same time that we're not doing so uh, by uh, bringing down the rest of the city and quality and safety. Uh, if uh, anyone has any questions about that, I'm happy to talk to you more after, but I do want to keep the show moving. So those are just a few things that we got going on. Uh, and then uh, on Thursday, I have a town hall that will be occurring at Bar K. Uh, if you don't know where that is, that's down on McCree. It's the southernmost tip of the ward. And you can bring your dogs. I want you to bring your dogs uh, because I love dogs and I want to meet you and your dogs. And um, they get in free that night. So uh, come by, bring them in and we'll have a good time. Our guest speaker will be Steve Capizzi. Uh, we did have Gabe Gore, but there was a scheduling conflict, so we'll get him next time. But we are going to get Steve Capizzi of the Circuit Attorney's Office. He's the Chief Warrant Officer. So if you have any questions about how the Circuit Attorney's Office has been doing since we switched leadership there, this is the time to come ask them. It's going to be a really interesting and a really good time. I hope to see you there. And with that, I'll hand it back to Dan, unless anyone has any questions. No questions tonight. Okay, Dan, here you go. Fantastic. Uh, thank you, Michael. Here is Michael's contact information. Uh, if you need it, it's also posted on the City of St. Louis uh, website if you ever need it. Um, also, just as a, a word, do you ever see anything uh, that is out of the ordinary or needs fixing around the city? Uh, the City's Service Bureau is your contact for that. Um, Yep, uh, you can enter through the live chat, report online by phone, or you can tweet them. They're super responsive. Oftentimes I'm walking around with my dog and I just take pictures of things that are broken, that are tagged, lights out, potholes, sinkholes, you name it. Take a picture, tweet it, and they will kindly respond to you the next day at 9 a.m. saying they will, uh, it's, on, it's, in the, it's in their record. Uh, very helpful service. Uh, next up, we have uh, Officer Walker with the Crime and Safety Report. 
I don't know if you guys are getting it, but I do send out the crime reports every week. I did put some over on the table. It's a spreadsheet of all you guys crying for the last three weeks. I've also put some flyers over there. Um, some of the safety tips about car break-ins, how to um, protect your car, and some gas pump inf information. We've had a lot of little gas pump thefts and carjackings and robberies. So we're just a little ways of giving you a fresh reminder to how to be safe at the gas pumps. Um, I had a couple of questions regarding Shoto Park, got Alderman Browning. I can say that we have stepped up patrols around that area. And if anybody else is seeing any kind of suspicious activity, please give us a call and let us know what's going on and what you see. Um, we did get um, some information about some unruly behavior around Swan and Newstead. We're also focusing on that area. And also, Dan, I think you reached out to me regarding 1100 block of Kentucky. Got it. I was looking through the cost of service and I couldn't figure out if it was going to be domestic or just some tenant things, but uh, we'll have our. Yeah. Um, so hopefully, um, with that being said, um, our nuisance property officers and maybe Ron won't have any more headaches with that um, address over there. Um, but if anybody has any questions for me, any concerns you want to share, let me know. I will step to the side, answer any questions. As much as possible. We had 12 car break ins in the 1500 block of Tower Grove. Yeah, um, quite a few. Uh, we got hit real hard this past weekend. They, uh, they, they, there was an area over by Pernod and Macklin that got about 20 cars broken into. It was just about seven groups working citywide. And however, they got to that space where normally they wouldn't, they did. And it was a very short time in and out. So uh, even if you're, you're reducing your odds greatly by being on private parking in the rear, fenced in, what have you, but there's still opportunities for people to get into those spaces, garages, parking lots, and whatnot. So uh, the, the same measures you would take if you're parked on the street, I'd implore you and plead with you to take those same measures if you're parked in a spot that you think is actually secure, that not always is. Uh, and then when they're hunting in the, in this area on weekend nights, they are hunting more for guns and people who are going to the clubs and uh, have to leave the guns in the cars. That was just an epidemic last year for us, but uh, it, there, there was a definite turn where the summer uh, has turned to fall and, and whatever reason this group, and we've got some leads citywide, countywide, Maplewood, St. Anne, North County, where a lot of our stolen cars are being dumped. So there's some detectives on a task force that are trying to get at these guys. There's a certain gang doing it, but it's a large, large gang. So any help we can get uh, in terms of descriptions, uh, immediate calls in. We do have not only the secondary officers that are riding this area on weekend nights, but uh, the night watch officers. Uh, 911 is getting a little better. We're getting some more staffing. So uh, remember, if you, if we don't call in because we've given up on 911, we are now creating a city that doesn't need the numbers we really do need because, oh, they can look and say, look, that we don't have as many calls to 911. I think there's a real fear that we don't have those calls to 911 that we might have a year ago because some people gave up on the system, that they heard some of the stories and some real life scenarios that I'm I found my one in where I was on hold for 10 minutes because a buddy of mine had found a loaded gun on the Hardy's lot up on Hampton. And I listened to him uh, 
called me on his daughter's phone while he was still on hold for 10 minutes to report this loaded gun. So don't get discouraged. It is getting better and we got to get back into, and I'm sorry if you find yourself in a spot, most calls are still 80% of them being answered in that first 15 seconds, but there's that threshold that we reach usually on weekend nights, or if there's a horrible accident on the highway or whatnot, where you are going to be on hold. If you, if you have to put that phone down, put it on speaker and wait, wait it out. I'm, I'm asking you if it's life or death situation, take measures uh, that you have to take to protect yourself. But if it's a report in a crime that you've seen, even if it's a, a serious crime, try and stay on hold and, and rally the troops Have your, your partner, your spouse, or someone else in the house starting to call neighbors so they can protect themselves. But as long as one person stays on 911, uh, because we do not want to become a city, like I said, where everybody gives up on 911 and then City Hall can look at it and say, well, you know what? There were 200,000 less calls to 911. There was a million last year, 800 this year. Maybe we don't need all the dispatchers. We can't fall into that trap. Anything else for Nicole or I? Could you quickly share the difference between uh, 911 and 911? Uh, the the non-emergency number is truly now for non-emergencies, and there's a voicemail prompts and that will try and direct you to the right place, the right operator. Uh, it's frustrating for some folks. When in doubt, call 911. Uh, I would say for nuisance things or parked cars that you might suspect are stolen, experiment with it. I've experimented with it and had success the first two times I did it. Uh, and it was a legitimate cause. I wasn't tying up the system, but it's, it's a process that might frustrate some folks, but it's, it's done as an intention to just steer away and keep things open for the real emergency calls. So 2311212 is still the non-emergency number that will direct you to the voicemail. Uh, I'm sorry, not the voicemail, but the prompts uh, before you get to a, a live voice. Has anybody used it yet? Any success or otherwise? When in doubt, 911. So basically, if the crime is happening and it is current at that time, that's going to be your 911. If it's something that's prior, like Captain was saying, a dirty car, um, just people loitering outside, making noise, that'd be something like your non emergency. Mike, were you going to say something? Oh, just that I, I used it to report suspicious programs. I did it while back. Good. I, I noticed the and we got a third sky cop in the district uh the sky cops uh one of our better tools right now where it's got the wraparound cameras that feed right into our real-time crime center that they can see live helps us with investigations after the fact but it's really more as a preventive tool uh the show cars you ever seen the cars that are parked in a spot for three or four days and it's the old those have kind of lost their luster and and power because we're all driving the big SUVs now. So I think that the folks know that it's just a shell car and it's there for visibility. And we've had shell cars parked on the quick trip lot, for instance, on Kings Highway and still had break-ins and the type of thefts we're seeing uh, when a shell car is here. So what we're using, we've shifted them now mostly to just kind of be a deterrent for speeding and traffic violations because there are some traffic cars that still use the, the Chevy Impalas so on Grand Avenue or McCausland, for instance, uh, even Shoto, you can park it and somebody might think it's a, a radar car and a traffic car. So it, we're using them now to try and slow down people, which is a real safety issue in the city, as you know. And if you've ever been hit by an uninsured driver, you really appreciate that we're making an attempt 
and the, our traffic divisions uh, targeting certain neighborhoods. If you ever feed it into Nicola, if you've got uh, blocks or areas where they're really dangerously violating uh, some traffic issues that are particularly dangerous to school children in the morning and afternoon, I would say would be a number one priority for that. I'm gonna go to the Tiffany neighborhood folks. Thank you so much. Uh, next, we will turn it over to Ron Coleman with any neighborhood updates. Thanks, Dan. Good evening, everyone. Just I'm the uh, city representative neighborhood improvement specialist for your area, so please contact me if um, you have any issues related to infrastructure, safety, and security, any of those uh, difficult to solve problems that I've that most of you have already contacted me about in the past. So um, continue to do that. I'm your, your resource for you. I'd like to thank uh, the Neighborhood Association, Dan and Sarah and others for helping uh, with the cleanup last month uh, in the alley, uh, Norfolk. It was a huge uh, improvement and it lasted, the cleanup lasted for about three weeks. So if you're doing another one next week, <laughs> Uh, please come back, but no, it, it was a huge help. I really appreciate you guys doing that. Uh, I wanted to give you some updates. I haven't talked a lot about the what the Grove SID has been working on lately, but they're working on some safety improvements. Uh, bollards that would protect some of the, the uh, diners and pedestrians on the sidewalks. So that'll be an improvement. They are working on replacing some litter barrels and some light poles that are out as well. And there is, uh, what's the other thing? Oh, crosswalk uh, painting, some of the crosswalks that aren't on Manchester, but the side streets. And then improving the lighting. I know the lighting is so bright on Manchester and it's, it's, it's great for, it's, <laughs> it's great for, you know, cameras and, crime and that sort of thing. But if you're trying to drive and see somebody walking across the street, it's not so good. So they're looking at uh, reflectors that would point the light back down to the sidewalk and not shoot up in the sky so much. So that should help uh, with pedestrian safety. Um, I'm excited about that. And let's see, then 
speaking of lights, it's uh, getting dark earlier. So please, since I'm not always out in the evenings driving through the neighborhood, please uh, turn in any lights that are out to the Citizen Service Bureau that Dan put up there earlier. Or if they're your alley lights, call Amron UE. They are maintaining the alleys, uh, not the city. Uh, finally, well, a couple other things. Bulk, bulk uh, pickup, they're six weeks behind, actually two weeks if you don't count the four weeks that they, uh, they've almost yeah, they've up. almost caught up. Uh, so they, uh, they're on the first week pickups now, and you guys are third week. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks, they'll be by if you set something out. Um, parking district, I know I've talked to a few of you. We're still trying to get everything settled in with the new, uh, with the treasurer's uh, permitting process. I don't know, I'm happy to hear any feedback you have after the meeting, uh, but they, there's, it's still not perfect yet and we're still working on it with them. And then finally, I've gotten a, not a few number of complaints about the city refuse picking up recycle and solid waste in the same, the same uh, route. And that does happen occasionally when they're down a driver for the day or somebody calls in sick, whatever, or their equipment is down, they don't have enough time to make two passes, so they will tip it together. So it's not that we're not recycling, but that's just kind of the nature of the, the labor situation right now. And curiously, we're also trying to figure out how to do some things better with recycling. It's getting so expensive. Recycling is so contaminated right now in the city. I'm sure you've seen people just throw the regular trash in the recycle dumpsters. So the the uh, companies that collect the refuse uh, recycle don't want us. You know they are charging us a lot. So it's at regular trash we're paying forty five dollars a ton uh, to dump, but recycle we're paying one hundred and eighty five dollars. So. It's very expensive to recycle right now, and there's not really a huge market for recycled goods. Um, but the city is trying to come up with neighborhood areas where you could have a neighborhood center for recycling, and that would be cleaner recycle. So those of the, the, you that really do want to recycle could take it there, and it will be clean. And then we'll figure out what to do with the other situation. Yes. That's a good question. I don't know if that's a good question. I was only told by the budget director that that's what the city is paying and that may be with a penalty, um, but that's a good question. At any rate, it's three, what, three, three or four times as much. So, okay, well, uh, excited to move on with the agenda. Any questions? Okay, sure. Uh, the bulk recycle location that uh, Ron is referring to, Brightside had reached out on possible locations that are public right away, so like streets or alleys, and then um, if there were any like possible private partnerships that would accept it on like a large lot. The suggestion that we had shared with them was uh, between Woodyard Lofts and the uh, building on, um, I believe it's 
behind Hunt on Newstead. There's just a large, empty, dead-end street there. So I think they're going out now with, you know, looking at locations and talking to the people nearby and seeing if those locations are okay. But did want to share that possible location if that comes to life. Um, one question we had in the chat, and I think it's something that's been brought up once before, but would it be possible to add some lighting along Shoto and Shoto Park to help deter the ongoing drug dealing and loitering late at night? Yeah, the lighting throughout Shoto Park was part of the initial plan, but due to budget uh, allocations at that time, it was put on hold. So they are trying to discuss that again. Uh, the infrastructure committee, which is just getting going again, and the aldermen are working on that. But yes, definitely something that we know is needed. So. Thank you. Uh, any other questions? Fantastic. Uh, we will move on to the treasurer's report with Cami. All right. So for the month of September, which is when we had our uh, great gathering, um, so a lot of action with our account, um, we had uh, $1,500 in donations and uh, paid $1,599 for Zoom, spent $2,635.99 on the great gathering, which was a huge success and everyone had lots of fun. So definitely worth it. Um, so we end up with $1,817.19 in the account. And uh, if you want to be a member it, or yeah, uh, a member of the neighborhood association, it's pay what you can. We have the sliding scale. You get voting privileges, which is coming up, you know, soon. Um, and you can pay via Cash App or via check. And if you need to reach out or find us, you can contact forestparksoutheast.gmail.com. And the Cash App account is dollar sign FPSENA. Uh, any questions over uh, the lovely treasurer's report? Great. Um, as Kimmy had mentioned, 2024 board elections are coming up. Um, we are accepting nominees right now. Um, board elections are in November. All positions are open for any resident to nominate themselves for it. Any position, um, president, vice president, secretary, treasurer, and member at large. Uh, nominees and to vote, you must be a dues-paying member. As Kimmy mentioned, uh, membership is pay what you can. Uh, in the years past, it was either 10 or $20, but uh, we're trying to make it more accessible for anyone to be a dues-paying member and to run for board. Um, name and position of the nominee must be made by the end of tonight's meeting. Uh, those current nominees are uh, for president, myself, uh, Mark Mangapura made a written statement. He is not here tonight, but uh, submitted a written, written statement that he would nominate himself for vice president, um, secretary, Cami, uh, treasurer, Ev, and then member at large, Sarah Kogan. Um, if you would like to nominate yourself, uh, you can do so uh, now or before the end of the night, and we can write that into the list of ballots.
Yes. Yes, uh, we have a list in the treasurer's report. Uh, here we go. Uh, we have 33. Yes, thanks for asking. Yep. Yep, as long as you uh, pay before we take uh, the cast for ballots, good to vote. Uh, it will be a mix of, as we've done in the past, we've done it both in person and online, again, to make it accessible to everyone. So those in, in person at the meeting will have uh, pen and paper, and then online we'll do a Google form, we'll, and people will be... Uh, checked to see if they are dues paying member before we go into vote. Cool. Yes, sir. Uh, you are, it's a one year uh, uh, election ballot. So you won for from January to December and re-election is in November and you uh, your term begins in January. There are no rules for consecutive uh, terms. All right. Um, jumping back into the presentation here. Uh, we'll quickly go through some events and other notes. Um, there is a solar power hour at Barquet. Lots of things happening at Barquet. Uh, this Wednesday before the Michael's Town Hall on um, learning the basics of solar. So you'll get uh, financial implications for your property, how the Grow Solar St. Louis program works, and you can get a free no obligation site assessment on installing, installing solar on your house. And actually next month, we are having somebody come and speak on uh, solar install installation and exactly what Michael had just mentioned, uh, the rebates that are happening for uh, qualified individuals. Uh, it's pretty uh, generous right now. So she will come and speak on that next month and it should be pretty exciting and informative. Um, more events. There's a lot of uh, neighborhood beautification events happening uh, starting, I mean, we do it all year long, but um, we have daffodil bulb planting on Saturday, October 21st at 9 a.m. Um, we have some leftover daffodils and some tulips, mostly tulips, but maybe a few daffodils, uh, maybe a couple, maybe one, <laughs> at least one. We'll be planting some of those, uh, meet at the corner of Tower Grove and Gibson, and then uh, there will be a few tools provided, but um, encouraged to bring your own gloves and maybe a small hand shawl. Uh, De-volcano mulching. So we've been de-volcano mulching a bunch of trees in our neighborhood lately. De-volcano mulching is when we take uh, excess mulch from around a tree's trunk and remove it um, from the trunk to 
let it breathe. Oftentimes you'll see mulch piled up in a volcano shape and that uh, traps in moisture, causing the tree to slowly uh, disease, decay, rot, and then fall over. You might have noticed some trees, particularly along Manchester, where they've been mulch has been piled high, and lately we've lost some of those trees. If uh, some of them recently have been de-volcano mulch, and you can see dark rings around the bottom of the trunks where the mulch was piled, indicating a lot of trap moisture and those will probably not make it very much longer. Um, so we are looking at along uh, Manchester cadet area. Um, there are some trees that could be demulched, de-volcano mulched. Um, on Tuesday, October 24th at 6 p.m., we'll meet at the Manchester parking lot at 4525. Uh, tools will be provided. Shouldn't take any more than probably 30 minutes. Always a good time. Neighborhood cleanups. As Ryan mentioned the other month, we did uh, the alley of Swan and Norfolk. Uh, typically, we focus on uh, the lawns and along the curbs of, of the streets to pick up trash. Uh, this month, uh, on October 28th, we'll be doing our last one of the year pending November weather. We may do another one. Um, but gloves. Uh, trash bags will be provided, and usually it's about two hours long. It's about maybe five to ten people who help out, and we pick up many bags of trash. It's always surprising how much trash is just in two or three blocks of, of walking. Whew. All right, uh, winter tree pruning. This one is new. We'll be doing some winter tree pruning through the win winter. Um, we'll, for this one, uh, the these are on the first Sunday of each month at 10 a.m. For the first one, we will meet at the northwest corner of Shoto and Taylor at Shoto Park. Yeah, um, there are limited tools available. So if you have pruners, hand saws, loppers, gloves, uh, protective eyewear, and if you have a step ladder, uh, encouraged to bring those. Uh, we'll be pruning some trees in Shoto Park, I assume. Yeah, no. Oh, down Taylor. Okay, cool. Great. So we'll be printing trees down Taylor. Fantastic. Um, yeah, and let me skip to this slide, actually. If you're interested in any of those activities, um, we are working on the uh, Neighborhood Beautification Committee. It's been pretty informal, but I think having a group of people who are interested in, in helping out on a monthly basis, on a weekly basis. Uh, we'll be getting together more often to kind of coordinate um, the planning, uh, the promoting, and the completion of a bunch of projects. So if you have ideas, if you're passionate about cleaning up the neighborhood and beautifying it, highly recommend you get in contact with either me or Cami, and we can start organizing uh, these cleanups more efficiently. And then if you like, Throwing events, uh, we can always use it another hand of planning them. Uh, we are currently planning for 2024. Uh, every year we do our annual great gathering, and it's always uh, a lot of work. Um, but the more people we get to help, uh, more people who help out with that, the easier it becomes. We would love to do more events like smaller things like uh, uh, happy hours or an Easter egg hunt. But um, love anyone to step up to the plate and help out as well. If you like doing events, just talk to me afterwards. Uh, and then as uh, Ron had mentioned, parking districts are 
you know, kind of back. There's a lot of things to be worked on. Uh, we do have uh, something on the website that can, uh, if you go to Forest Park Southeast slash parking districts, there's a lot of information there on um, how to register your car and, and questions, uh, frequently asked questions that we kind of gathered from the original presentation that Adam Lane had shared with us a couple months ago. Things might have changed, um, but if you have questions, you can reach out to TRS permits at stltreasurer.org or contact William Hansis um, for additional help. Uh, any questions over events or neighborhood beautification before we move on to our guest speaker? Yes, Dan. Yeah. Um, so the CID is in charge of cleaning up the Manchester strip. Um, they work through a third party contractor to get all of that done. Um, I think we can try to work with Guy Slay and figuring out how we can better mitigate the trash that blows off into the side streets. We know we've heard complaints about that. Um, we can we can work with um, Guy on trying to figure that that out and making sure that the trash that is generated along Manchester doesn't make it um, into the side streets as it often does. Yeah. Oh, I'm not familiar with that conversation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can go, we can, we can build a, we can petition to do a special business district and tax everyone in the neighborhood if that's what we want to do. Okay, yeah, we can we can talk about this. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, so the, the CID is a community improvement district that sets up a special taxing district. They can only spend the money they get from that, and it's gained from sales taxes on the business they do on the strip. That can only be spent in, within their boundaries. So if you look at the map, that really includes just the Manchester Strip, and then it goes down a little on Vannevenner. Uh, if we wanted to create something to take care of the rest of the neighborhood, we could do that, but that would mean that residents would pay an extra tax on top of the taxes you already pay. These exist several places in the Central West End, uh, and what that allows you to do is uh, extra uh, infrastructure upgrades like lighting and uh, and other like sidewalks and other stuff like that, uh, extra tree trimming services, which I know has uh, been an issue. Um, and it also, uh, you could use it for trash cleanup, but that is something that people would have to vote on in their area. And it would be basically voting to tax yourselves extra. Uh, it's not much. It's like usually a 1% tax or something like that. Uh, and that goes on your property tax. 
but it is uh, how you would get services outside that CID district. So, hey, Ms. Goldman, what I was talking about, we don't, we don't want to pay extra because there has a Yes. So if we if we were to, to do something, it would have to be through the city. And uh, yeah, we, we can certainly look at that. I know we we do volunteer cleanups right now and, and it's fairly effective, but it's it's a problem. Yeah. Yeah, it's the the trash is, is a problem throughout the city and and uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm happy to talk about them with it. I, I agree with you. It's a problem. I, I just I'm trying to figure out in my head where the funding will come from. So yeah, All right. Cool. Uh, any other questions before we move on to our guest speaker, who's been very kind and, and waiting uh, for her chance to, to talk and present to us tonight? Awesome. Uh, very excited to have Samantha here to talk about Pocket Parks. Uh, I will turn over the mic to her and you just let me know when I need to flip to the slides, all right? My, my slide flipper? All right, awesome. Um, I've attended a lot of community meetings like this and you guys are super organized and obviously very passionate with your events. So I'm already excited to share what we do at Pocket Parks. Um, again, I am Samantha Smugala. I'm the president and founder of Pocket Parks and we're a nonprofit that transforms vacant lots into community, uh, little community parks. So tonight I'm just gonna go over kind of who we are, how we do this and share some of our projects with you. So at each of our slides, you'll see one of our projects and this is our downtown location at 10th and Locust. Uh, just a little background, we started this park with $900 and a can of paint. <laughs> um, so this is what it looks like today. It's been um, reinvested in month after month. And um, we've actually have worked with community improvement districts and neighborhood associations to host events like this. And it's become a, a huge success where it was just completely empty and trash ridden and people would avoid this block. Okay. Um, so as I mentioned, 501c3 nonprofit, we transform vacant lots into beautiful, active community areas. Uh, this is our West End Park location. Uh, we do this through many different ways. It's very important to us that we keep things accessible. And I'll kind of talk about how we can uh, make this process a little bit more achievable, low cost, uh, very sustainable. So this is our problem slide. Every pitch deck has a problem slide, right? Uh, the problem with vacant lots. I think that we all see a vacant lot and we kind of think the same thing. They're dangerous, they're ugly, they're dirty. We don't want anything to do with them. Um, but all of that is true. And there's actually some really serious implications with vacancy. Uh, it's actually really costly. The city spends millions of dollars a year just taking care and mowing vacant lots, trying to clean them up. But they also bring down property values. Um, they can depreciate neighborhoods if you've got a bunch of blight and vacancy in your neighborhood. And it starts to become a real economic 
impact. Um, studies have also shown that violent crime happens in and around vacant lots. Now, there's nothing that says that's causation, but if you look at a crime map, oftentimes it's in and around a vacant lot. So there's a perceived safety issue as well as a literal safety issue. And what I think is probably the most important is that they also have a severe mental well-being impact. Um, if you can imagine, and maybe there are people here who have grown up in a neighborhood that had a lot of dumping or blight or vacancies. And if you're living in that neighborhood, it's probably hard to think that somebody cares about you, that the city cares about you. So it starts to impact your self-worth as a person. If my neighborhood isn't worth taking care of, am I worth taking care of? So these are all things that we try to work on with Pocket Parks to solve. So what we do is we invest in these underutilized lots. We um, don't work on millions of dollars. We work on thousands of dollars. And we also continue to maintain and activate. So we don't just build and leave. We remain part of the community. Beautification inspires pride. It inspires respect for a community. So artwork is always included. Uh, we also work with local community members to develop, to maintain these parks. So there's a little bit of economic uh, job creation there. And we continue to activate space. We make sure there's something to do at the park so that people continue to come back and um, visit the park so it remains more walkable in that area. It feels safer. There's always people who are kind of coming and going. And this is probably one of my favorite statements in the presentation. We're weaving vibrant spaces into the urban fabric. So they're not just little parks. Um, they actually provide a lot more than that. Again, increasing safety, um, inspiring community pride. It can build social capital. There's a lot of little benefits that just build up the ecosystems of our communities. So how do we do this? Um, so this says we engage the community. I should really rewrite that to the community engages us. We don't go into a community and say, you need a park. Um, it happens pretty organically. The community members come to us. They're interested in our program and we just help the community meet their goals. We take them through community engagement, through the design process and implementation. And we'd have a fun little ribbon cutting ceremony. So community engagement looks different in every neighborhood. We are working on our fifth park location right now, and it's never the same, no matter where we're going. Uh, some community members are really tech savvy. They have no problem filling out online surveys or connecting with us on social media, but that's not everybody. So we also do canvassing throughout the neighborhood. We deliver um, pre-stamped postcards that allow people to vote and send it right back to us. And then one of my favorite things that we do is we host a pop-up park event and it's with the community. We invite other community vendors and organizations to be a part of this. So it's not just a pocket parks event, it's really an event for the community. And it showcases what this lot can become, the potential of the vacant lot. And of course, we have our little sticky votes as you can see in that poster, so people can vote at the event as well. We take all of that feedback, which 
And our process can be as short as three months. It really just depends on how fast the community wants to go. But we're not focusing on an entire neighborhood plan. We're focusing on one small piece of ground, right? So we can work pretty quickly with community engagement. We're really hyper-focused on the 10-minute walking radius around this park. So we take all that feedback and we go to work on a design. Our designs are really strategic to make sure that they are low cost, easy to maintain. We use a lot of tactical urbanism. So that's kind of semi-permanent structures. That way, if something needs to change, we can change it. Maybe we get it wrong. That's okay. We're learning and we're growing with the community. Maybe the community decides in a year that they want it to be something else. No problem. We can do that. So um, this has been, a, you know, kind of an interesting thing that we do, trying to remain very flexible and agile. But it's been a really rewarding experience, especially as we continue to evolve these parks with the community. Three things that we always include. Again, artwork. Um, artwork is so important, not just because it's pretty. Uh, it can start conversations, it can inspire new ideas, it can inspire people to vote. Uh, there's a lot of really engaging things when it comes to artwork. It's a reflection of the community. Activation, what's there to do at the park? Wanting people to keep coming and going. That can be as simple as taking a selfie. If people are coming to the park to take a selfie, it's keeping it active. It could also be chess tables, tetherball. We don't ever, uh, we, well, we haven't yet. I shouldn't say ever. We haven't engaged in sports courts yet just because those are more permanent structures, require a lot more capital and maintenance. We wanna make sure that we're building things that are, again, sustainable for our team and the community to take part of. But, you know, maybe someday I could see us doing a sports court. And then opportunity. So art activation, how is the community using this space? Uh, we really like to design multi-purpose spaces that can be overflow for the coffee shop next door, can be a space for a family to have lunch. Um, maybe it's a space for the community to host events. We wanna make sure that this space is providing value. So a few different logistical things. Uh, we don't start a project unless we have access to land, and that could even just be a lease. We don't necessarily have to own the land, um, and $5,000. We know that we can be dangerous with $5,000. So we don't like starting community engagement unless we have those two things, because we don't wanna start getting everyone excited, and then we say, pause that does not build trust. So, um, you know, starting the process and just sharing with you all how we work transparently, I think is important. So after we have $5,000 in land access, we start the process. Uh, again, very accessible materials. We get materials from Home Depot. We get them off Amazon. Uh, solar string lights on Amazon, they are great. So we get things that anyone could really buy, any one of us. And I think, again, that shows how accessible it is to transform space and make it something beautiful. We work on volunteer efforts and also uh, hire contractors from time to time. And we also um, invest in sustainable native landscaping because we know that natives tend to, uh, once they are established, take care of themselves, less weeding, less gardening that we have to do. 
So we, again, don't just come into the community, here's your park, see you later. We become part of the community. We attend community events like this. We ask, how do you wanna use this park? Some communities love events like pizza in the park or wine and paint in the park. We've done movie nights, vendor markets. So we make sure that we're helping to activate the space and continue to maintain the space so it does not become another burden for someone to take care of. So really in closing, uh, these spaces are more than just parks. They're more than just places to gather or to be in nature. I consider these spaces little spark plugs because they kind of, they start small and they, they grow from there. And I think that they are in a way inspiring more positive change and community development along with it, just making that accessible and, you know, engaging the community and, you know, having the community be, be there with us along the way. So I think that's my last slide. It is. And there's my email. Um, so our website is pocketparkswithans.co. My email is on here, samantha.lee at pocketparks.co. Um, please reach out to me if you guys have ideas for where you want a pocket park. Um, I, I, like I said, we're working on our fifth park location right now. I think we might sneak a sixth in there before the year's over. And we're planning our 2024 I guess, roster. I don't know. Can you do a park roster? <laughs> so, so thank you guys for having me. Uh, are there any questions? Yes. Oh, yeah. We record it for a podcast. Um, so in terms of land access, um, do you guys help, like if it's privately owned, do you have a system of like a contract for renting that and like being able to contact the owner if the community might not know the owner. So when it comes to land access, uh, we have worked with the city to lease land and to purchase land. Um, what I would like to do in the future is really push for the community and help the community purchase that land so your neighborhood organization remains in control always. When it comes to privately owned land and the owner isn't ready to quite let that go, we can work with them on an agreeable, you know, triple net lease is what they call it. Essentially, there's a very low rent, if anything, maybe like a dollar a year, dollar a month. And then we pay for all of the investment, any utilities we bring on site, et cetera. And this is a model that I think is super attractive and interesting because maybe that property owner wants to wait five years to see what happens with the neighborhood. Well, that doesn't really do anyone any good. But if we're investing in the property and it's also doing good for the community, their property appreciates. We're using this for something that the community finds valuable. And in 10 years, if that wants to become something else, it can be. Our organization is really about reducing vacancy. And if one year it's not vacant anymore, we'll go to the next vacant block down the street. So it's a couple of different ways we access land. We also have um, permission to access kind of um, MOU contracts. We have one with Cortex right now. So if there's an institution that owns property, it's a different type of lease agreement, but um, that, that works too. And we carry insurance on, on all of our park locations. 
Um, I don't know if it was you that I emailed, but I emailed someone at Pocket Parks about the end behind the parking lot of Urban Chestnut, which I think would be a great location because there's a lot of Urban Chestnut customers, all the Grove people. And um, I'm sorry if I never replied to the email. It's been busy. But um, my question is, if that's a good spot and um, you think it's viable, can we start fundraising or doing anything now? Um, and then I guess, what are the next steps? You're really going to like the answer. Um, so I do know the owner of that property and we've talked about it before. Um, and I'm going to see him tomorrow, actually, which is so crazy. Uh, this is serendipitous. But I think that would be a great spot. Uh, it's very um, visible and people are walking down it all the time. I know um, that lot has struggled with car break-ins, too. So that's something that could help. Parks also act as uh, traffic slowing. So there's a lot of good benefits that I think could happen at that particular lot. Um, First, of course, land access and $5,000. But sometimes if we're working with a private property owner, especially a developer, um, that's not a, a big ask. So once we have permission to start the process, uh, we go to some of our donors, we look for grants, uh, Invest STL has some great grants. Um, the Community Foundation has connected us with some, some great partners. So that's, that's definitely, um, not out of question. So I think land access, raise some money, and we could start community engagement early spring, potentially. So. <laughs> um, my wife and I reside at uh, McCormick House, which, you know, is 4575 Cadet. And there's a piece of land in front of our building, which is Manchester to King's Highway. And there's a piece of land to the east, uh, which is Manchester. They're both green spaces. I I'm not sure if the Science Center maybe has the one directly in front of the building. And I've heard Wash U has the other. I don't know, but I, I'm just going, wow. These could be something maybe, but maybe not. Yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly which stretch you're talking about, but um, in front of the Science Center, you said? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yes, okay. There's like a little dome right here. Okay. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that um, the answer is always yes, but the question is what, right? Uh, I think that both institutions would be great partners. Um, I think you're absolutely right. They would be interested in doing something that would make this useful to the community, especially if it's going to be high impact, low cost. So I, you know, if anyone has any contacts, they're happy to, to chat with them about it. I'll give them this same presentation. 
Do you have a board of directors or is everything just you volunteering? Great question. Um, so board of directors, we do have a board of four right now. We're looking for more board members. And uh, we have an advisory board. Uh, Maxine Clark's on our advisory board. She's been a great um, just connector, really, and advisor. And then we have a core team of 10 outside of that, 10 volunteers who do anything from run social media to run volunteer days. We're always looking for more volunteers to help, but we are almost ready to hire our first employee. So it's a pretty exciting time. Uh, I don't think people normally think of nonprofits as a startup, but it absolutely is. And just like any other business, you need capital to grow. And we're we're at a really exciting growth time for Pocket Parks. So, yeah. um, while we're talking the ideas for Pocket Parks in our neighborhood, um, there's a vacant lot between the post office and what used to be Firecracker Pizza. Um, it's a lot smaller and I've like always wanted to do something there, but yeah. don't, yeah. It's owned by the post office. Just a little hangout. Oh, perfect. Um, there's a really cool project in Oklahoma city where they have an outdoor art gallery and they put, um, simple chairs and tables, again, Amazon string lights, but then they have rotating art pieces uh, that they can put outside. And I don't, I see that there. I think that could be really cool. Well, I love all these ideas. Yeah, this is great. Um, so I guess if you guys are interested, of course, I will talk to my contact about the lot near um, Urban Chestnut, but any other ideas, please send them along. There's actually a park applications uh, process on our website. So go out there, check it out, um, fill out the application. It doesn't matter if you know the owner of the lot, if you just wanna throw it out there as an option, we can always help you navigate that process and, and take on the next steps, so. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Uh, we had invited Samantha because of feedback given to us about interest in pocket parks or in, in beautifying the neighborhood and uh, pocket parks came to my mind. So very familiar with the organization. Glad you were able to come out. Um, keep us updated. Keep me I, happy to share out any, any progress that's made. Um, uh, we're about to wrap up our meeting. Um, next up, uh, if you have any ideas for future speakers, we have a running list here, everything from the Vacancy Collaborative, who also works on uh, uh, empty lots and, and ways to uh, uh, activate them, uh, to maybe having Scott Olivy, who heads up a lot of the complete streets and bike paths that we have. Um, so if you have any suggestions, always, always free to feel free to reach out. Um, yeah, 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 same thing I just said. Uh, yeah, next up again, uh, town hall this Thursday at Barquet, daffodil planting, tulip planting, tulip planting. Uh, this, this Saturday, meet at Tower Grove and Gibson, and then de-volcano mulching next week, followed by a cleanup event, winter pruning, and then our next uh, meeting on uh, Tuesday, November 21st. Uh, and that concludes. Our October, October edition of
the association meeting. Thank you, everybody.